couple of years ago, there was a man named Mike Levitt, who was then governor of Utah, was in an airport in Korea waiting for a flight. At the same time, his press secretary was at the ticket counter being told that she couldn't get on the flight because it was too full. But she just kept insisting over and over that she get on the flight because she was traveling with the U.S. governor on urgent business. And she made such a fuss that eventually a U.S. embassy aide came over and, uh, and it intervened and got her on, on standby. Well, after she got on the plane, she went to the front to tell the governor what had happened, but he wasn't there. Turns out he'd been bumped by an urgent standby passenger. <laughs> her. Have you ever made something worse by trying to fix it yourself? That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in the passage that Rich just read. As we've been saying all summer long, Galatians is a book with one point, that what makes us right with God is not our good deeds, but it's Jesus' death on the cross and our acceptance of that through faith. That is what makes us right with God, nothing else. But the Galatians thought that they could improve on that, give God kind of a helping hand in his salvation plan by adding a whole bunch of rules, eat this, these foods, get circumcised, have these special feast days and special months and years and all this stuff. In other words, they were trying to fix their sin problem through their own efforts. And Paul says the result of that is slavery, not freedom. And as Paul says throughout Galatians, Jesus came to make us free. That's what he came for. And to illustrate his point, Paul uses a story from the Old Testament. But not just any story from the Old Testament, a story of Abraham, the founder of monotheism, the founder of Judaism. And God had promised Abraham that he'd be father of a great nation. And Abraham waited for 10 years for that promise to come true, and after 10 years, he still didn't have any children. And his wife, Sarah, was well past childbearing years, so they decided to help God out and fix the situation themselves. So Sarah said to Abraham, Abe, that's in the Hebrew, Abe, since God's taken so long on this kid thing, I've got an idea. Why don't we, why don't we do this ourselves? Why don't you sleep with my servant, Hagar, have a kid with her, and I'll call it mine. And Abraham said, uh, okay. <laughs> if you say so, dear, we'll do it that way. Now, why they thought that was going to be a good idea, nobody knows. If faith is a journey where God is driving, Abraham just shoved God out of the driver's seat, took the wheel, and said, I'll take it from here, God. Well, Hagar gets pregnant and has a son named Ishmael. But then Sarah gets jealous. Go figure. And she and Hagar start to fight constantly. Years later, eventually, Sarah has a child of her own, Isaac, the, the promised child, the child of the promise that the Apostle Paul refers to in the passage we just read. But then Ishmael and Isaac are always fighting. So Sarah kicks Hagar and Ishmael out to go live by themselves in the desert, and then God intervenes and provides for both of them. But that fighting that began in that generation of Abraham's family did not end with that generation. Because Ishmael goes on to be the father of the Arabs and later on Muslims, Isaac becomes the father of the Jews, and those two groups of people have been fighting for 4,000 years. Blame it on Abraham, as mistakes go, this one was a whopper. You see, sometimes when we try to help God help us, we make matters worse. And Paul uses that as a metaphor for the legalism of the Galatians. He says, just as God made a promise promised Abraham a son, God has made us a promise. And Paul uses that word, promise, several times in this passage. That if we put our faith in Jesus, we are made right with God, period. But the Galatians pull a Hagar move. 
try to help God out by creating a list of rules to follow. And the result is they become enslaved to what Paul calls the weak and miserable principles of legalism. A couple of months ago, if you remember, I talked about how there's this pattern in Scripture of promise, problem, provision. God makes a promise, his people encounter a problem, and then God provides a solution. Well, I think there's another pattern at work in a lot of us in our spiritual lives, and that pattern is promise, placebo, prison. God makes a promise, then we try to help that promise along by, by, by turning to some kind of placebo, something of our own human effort that we think will help, but doesn't help at all or even makes it worse, and the result is prison. Well, that's what the Galatians did. Instead of the promise of a joy-filled relationship with God where we are free from the performed-to-be-accepted demon, they turn following God into a list of rules and drudgery and obligation. Not that God's commands are bad, they're not. As we said last week, God loves us, which means that his commands are meant to help us live a joy-filled life. But if we start to think we have to obey them to get God to like us, well, then they become a prison. And we're always wondering, have I done enough, prayed enough, gone to church enough, been nice enough to get God to love me? When because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're already made right with God. And then, instead of the Holy Spirit making us genuinely good from the inside out, we become phony good, fake good, like the Galatians. Our placebos are poor substitute for God's promises, and the result is always a prison. But you know what? It's not just legalism that we do that with. There are all kinds of ways we make matters worse by trying to take them into our own hands instead of waiting on God's promises. You know, I can see it in how I pray. A lot of times I'll pray, Lord, help me with this, help me with that, and then I will go on to give him an itemized list of exactly how he should do that. Sometimes we turn to relationships that aren't very healthy for us to provide a relief from loneliness instead of turning to Jesus and to his people. Before I met my wife, I dated some women who were not good for me, but I wasn't listening to God or anyone else. I thought I'd just help God help me. Jesus us, promises us comfort, but sometimes instead we turn to addictions of food or alcohol or sex or consumerism. Sometimes we turn to entertainment to provide more and more thrills in life instead of taking Jesus up on his promise that he will turn life into an adventure as we partner with him in reversing the effects of the fall. There's a man I know who used to go to the same church as Ross Perot, and he said that whenever the church had any kind of financial need, they would always turn to Ross Perot to help him out. And eventually, Perot pretty much funded the entire church budget all by himself, which was, it turned into a disaster because unintentionally he began to control the direction of the church because the pastors always wanted to do what Ross Perot wanted to do. Go figure. Plus, everybody else would just kind of, everyone else in the church just stopped giving any money because they figured, well, Ross is going to take care of it, which weakened the church budget even more. And, but more than that, it robbed people in that church one of the best ways of knowing Jesus is real, which is to give some of our stuff away and watch him provide. Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time, right? Why not let Ross help God help the church? In fact, I'm sure the church leaders even convinced themselves that Perot was sent by God to help them. The reason I'm so convinced is because that's what I would have convinced myself, right? Which is probably why Bill Gates has never come to church here. God is protecting Bill from me. Whenever we trust our efforts to help God help us, the results are usually bad. One of the guys who went to Rwanda with us said that on his first trip there, he was in a village where most of the people, especially the kids, had never seen a white person in their whole life. And he was riding through the village in an open jeep and was shouting out words in Kenya Rwanda that he thought meant hello, 
but the kids would all scream and run away because what he was actually saying was, I'm going to eat you. <laughs> Oops. Like, imagine that you've never seen a white person before, and here comes this American, I'm going to eat you, right? <laughs> Truly terrifying. He relied on his own efforts when it probably would have been better to work with a translator, don't you think? And the same thing happens when we try to help God out. We usually make things worse. Now, does this mean that we should just sit around and do nothing, just kind of wait for God to dump blessings in our lap? No, no. We have a role to play. We have a part to play in this. We're not passive. But the question is, who's driving? God or you? Who's driving? God? Who's making the decisions? God or ourselves? In the next two chapters of Galatians, Paul goes on to say that what, what, what life is about is not rules, it's not following a list of rules, it's about being directed by the Holy Spirit every minute of our day. The problem with Abraham and Sarah was they were listening to themselves rather than to the Holy Spirit. And if we know Jesus, his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And once we learn to recognize his voice, we can be guided by him. And the Spirit guides us in a number of ways. One of the most important ways he guides us is through scripture. If we want to know how to do things God's way rather than our way, the Bible is our best source. The Spirit also guides us through the counsel of Christian friends or mentors or pastors. And then the Spirit guides us through those thoughts that are not our thoughts, but that come, that come from God. And it can take a while to learn to recognize those thoughts as, as God's. And most of you have probably heard God speak to you before, maybe didn't even know it. But once we learn to recognize God's voice speaking, we can be guided by the creator of the universe. Now, how do we know it's God's voice, not ours? Well, you've got to check what you hear against Scripture. Make sure it lines up. Get others to help you discern. Do a whole lot of praying. But the point is to be guided by the Holy Spirit, not ourselves. Back in April, I did a wedding for a student from my college ministry in California named Brian. And of the hundreds of students that went through my ministry, Brian was one of four where we just ended up in a very deep, at a very deep level of, of friendship. He had a very painful life. His parents were divorced. His mom was so dysfunctional that Brian basically was her parent rather than the other way around. His dad was pretty much absent, rarely if ever told Brian that he loved him. And I really wanted to do a good job on this wedding. I mean, I wanted it to be original. I wanted it to be funny, moving. I wanted Brian and his bride to like it. I wanted the guests to like it. I wanted everyone to like it so much that they liked me. And oh yeah, I should talk about Jesus too. And unfortunately, that was my order of priority at the time. So I worked really hard on just a killer wedding sermon that I thought was pretty good, if I do say so for myself. Like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. But as I, as I was flying to Atlanta for the wedding, I felt the Holy Spirit kind of nudge me and say, Scott, you are one of Brian's spiritual fathers, and you need to give him a father's blessing because his dad's probably not going to do it. And I thought back to God, absolutely. I'll pull Brian aside, tell him I love him, I'm proud of him, it'll be great. And then the thought came back, no, during the ceremony. And I thought back, no, Lord, which is an oxymoron. No, Lord, that sounds arrogant, that sounds presumptuous, people will think I'm a jerk, besides that might involve an emotion in public. No, 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 no. But God just kind of kept nudging and nudging. So I decided to check what I was hearing against Scripture, and instantly the Holy Spirit called to mind all kinds of passages in the Bible where father figures, spiritual fathers, bless their spiritual sons in public, which made it harder to say, no, Lord. So I scrapped the whole sermon, rewrote the whole thing, and during the ceremony, I said, Brian, as one of your spiritual fathers, let me speak on behalf of your heavenly father and say I love you, 
I am very proud of you, and you are good at many things. And then I listed some of the things that Brian excelled at. When I spoke those words, I, the best way to describe it, I, this hasn't happened to me very often, but I just felt this rush of physical energy go into me and then out of me, and it was really clear from looking at Brian that he felt the same thing. The congregation felt that energy. After the wedding, I had several men in their 70s say to me, could I get a copy of that blessing? I really like that. There was one younger guy who was about to get married in a couple months, and he came up to me and he said, would you do my wedding? I said, I don't know you. It wouldn't be the same. <laughs> Different relationship. I had my plan on how to help God help me make that a great wedding. And it was a lousy plan. But when I followed the Holy Spirit, God showed up. I was involved. I wasn't passive. I had to respond to the nudges of the Holy Spirit, but I was letting the Spirit direct me. That is, after I got over myself. And it was really clear that between the words I spoke and the impact they had, there was a delta. The words did not equal the impact. And what was filling the gap in between was real clear to me was the Holy Spirit. And that was the best part. I knew that it was God, not me. You see, when we do things God's way, it is often harder. It involves risk. We almost always have to wait on God's timing. A lot of waiting on, on doing it God's way is waiting on God's timing to provide. Abraham and Sarah had to wait for 25 years, but it is always better. You know, in Abraham and Sarah's case, they got the miracle of having a baby when Sarah was 90 years old. Now, some of you might call that a disaster, but they thought it was a miracle. <laughs> and it was really clear that God did it because folks don't normally have babies when they're 90. And if they'd done it their way, they would have missed out on that miracle. God's way is best. Now, some of you right now might be thinking, oh, man, this sounds hard. No, there's no list of rules, no five easy steps. Man, I, oh, man, I, I got to listen to the Holy Spirit. That sounds hard. What do I, how do I know it's God, not me? What if, I, what if I mess it up? What if I do this wrong? You know what that is? That is that voice of that performed to be accepted demon whispering into your ears. What if I mess this up? Let me relieve you of the suspense. You will. I promise. You, I know you. You will. You'll mess it up. And I'll mess it up. Abraham messed it up, and God still loved him. And comfort yourself with this. You could hardly mess it up more than Abraham did, right? So you got that going for you, which is nice. That's what God's grace is for. And even if we make a mistake, he will bring good things out of our, out of our mistakes. Everything in us wants a list of rules, don't we? I mean, give me the five simple steps. It's just easier that way. Yeah, it might be easier that way, but it's not relationship. And that's what God wants. Folks, there is no list of rules for this thing called life. But there is a guide, and his name is Jesus. And as long as we are somewhere in the ballpark of being remotely faithful, praying, trying to listen, reading scripture to learn God's mind, then even if we make a mistake, he will get us where he wants us to be as long as we stick with him. The only fatal mistake is to give up on Jesus completely. God does not demand perfection. Did you hear me? God does not demand perfection. He asks for relationship. That's all he asks. There's an old hymn that says, leave it there, leave it there, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Too often my theme song is take it back, take it back. I bring my burden to the Lord and then I take it back. Our prayer should not be God do this, God do that. Instead it should be, Lord, here's the situation. Lord, what do you want to do here? Show me so I can be on board with what you're doing. I have a good friend who for years, she and her husband wanted to get pregnant and 
For 10 years, they tried almost everything that modern medicine could do for them with no results. And their constant prayer for 10 years was, Lord, give us a baby. But then they, after that, they, they switched their prayer from Lord, give us a baby to Lord, what do you want to do here? And then the Holy Spirit began to give them each the same thought separately. And that was, there are a lot of abandoned children in our world that need a home. So they adopted a little girl from Guatemala. And they got her when she was four months old, and they were really excited. They'd always say, man, this is the best way to have a baby. She already sleeps through the night. We missed all that early morning feeding stuff. And, you know, those of us who had newborns at the time did not appreciate that comment. Now, eventually, they did go on to have a child of their own, but they would say that it was very important that they went through that adoption first because it, it taught them to trust God, but it also taught them what it means in Scripture where it says that we are God's adopted sons and daughters. They said they understand God's heart in a whole new way now. When they stopped trying to arm wrestle God to get him to do what they wanted him to do and started asking, Lord, what do you want to do here? God fulfilled his promises, just not in the way that they expected, but it was better. So where are you taking matters into your own hands? Where in your life have you pushed God out of the driver's seat and grabbed the wheel and said, Lord, I'll take it from here? This week, instead of praying, God, give me this or bless me that, will you switch your prayer to, Lord, what are you doing here? What do you want to do here? Show me so I can get on board. And then will you listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit to guide you through prayer, through scripture, through the counsel of Christian friends or mentors? Whether that's some problem in your life, some hope or desire you have, some plan you've got, or if like the Galatians, it's you trying to earn God's approval or someone else's through your own human effort, will you rest in the promise, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. You are free from the performed to be accepted demon. Whatever it is, will you be guided by the Holy Spirit? While we were in Rwanda, we had a day where we faced one logistical setback after another. We we were supposed to deliver food to needy families in the, in the morning and then do a work project that afternoon. But the places we delivered food to were way far apart, so it took way longer than anyone anticipated and completely messed up the whole schedule. And then this giant rainstorm came, which made it really hard to build a wall made out of mud bricks that need to dry in the sun. So instead, we went to a genocide memorial in the afternoon. And then when we were done with that, we went to a community center where a woman named Tracy Stone and her organization, Rwanda Partners, was building a community center in this town, but they'd run into all kinds of opposition from the mayor. He just put up one bureaucratic roadblock after another. And Tracy and her organization had tried to explain that the center was there to help people, to support the community, and besides, it would bring all kinds of foreigners who would spend their money in that town, but the mayor still, still didn't like it, still very resistant. Well, when we got to the community center, there, some, of, some of the team just started this impromptu game of duck, duck, goose, with some of the kids from that town, only in this case it was Embare Embare Ehene, which is duck, duck, goat. Don't ask me why. <laughs> and then some of us started to, to move some of the bricks that had already been made a couple days before in preparation to work the next day. Well, right as this whole thing was going on, right at that time, the mayor just happened to come by and see this whole scene. And his whole attitude toward the center suddenly changed because he saw this visual demonstration of what that center would bring to his town. People doing work projects, people having fun, people bringing joy to the community. And he was converted. And he said he would stop putting up the roadblocks and he would start to support the project. Plus, for, for those of us who had been to that genocide memorial earlier, the fact that we got to play with some children was a great experience of how God brings new life even out of tragedy. We had our plans, 
But God used weather and villages that were too far apart, all kinds of setbacks to deconstruct our agenda and reconstruct his. And his was better. Because you know what? If we'd had our way, we never would have been there when that mayor just happened to come by and he never would, he never would have seen that moment. Later on that night, we were talking and we were kind of debriefing all of this and what God had done. And there was a college student who was on the trip with us and he said at the very end, he said, wow, that was the most important game of Duck, Duck, Goose ever. <laughs> God's plans are best. So this week, instead of promise, placebo, prison, will you simply be guided by the Holy Spirit? Trusting that even if it seems harder, even if it involves risk, even if you have to wait on God's timing, and you almost certainly will have to wait on God's timing, His way is better. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your hopes. Take your fears. Take your plans. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there.